0: Well, we're looking to God's Word as it is summarized in Lord's Day 38 this morning. I kind of moved that because of uh, the baptism we were uh, planning on. Um, It seemed a little more focused on raising up our children in the Lord than uh, the end of Habakkuk 1, as we'll see this evening. But, uh, But that's God's good providence. This is the Sabbath day. This is the Lord's Day, and we should rejoice in it and rejoice to consider what a blessing it is to us. But before we read the words of Lord's Day 38, I'd like to read with you Psalm 84. Psalm 84 is the psalm that we often quote when we see a bird nest among the uh, eaves of the church. We think about how even the swallow finds her nest in the place where God's people worship. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, each one appearing before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of Your anointed, for a day in Your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the man who trusts in you. Amen. What a privilege it is to be His people and to gather together into His presence. And that's really a message that lies at the heart of the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment, you shall keep the Sabbath day holy. Lord's Day 38 asks, what is God's will for us in this fourth commandment? And the answer that God's people confess is that first, that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained, and that especially on this festive day of rest, I regularly attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's Word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways, let the Lord work in me through His Spirit, and so begin already in this life, the eternal Sabbath. Amen. Beloved saints, saved by our Lord Jesus Christ, I have to confess, my earliest experiences with Sabbath keeping were not very positive. Growing up in in the church where I was raised, we didn't really talk about the Sabbath much. We worshipped on Sunday morning, but beyond that, we didn't really set the day apart as uniquely different. There was no worry about what we should or shouldn't do on the Lord's Day. We didn't even think about that. That wasn't on the radar. So going to a Reformed Presbyterian college was a bit of a wake-up call. Because if you know reformed Presbyterians, you know they take the lord's day, the Christian Sabbath, to be very, very, very serious a matter. And so, at Geneva College, where I attended, they locked the college library and the Student Center on the Lord's Day. Doing campus or doing laundry in campus dorms was forbidden, as were sports on the Lord's day. In fact, they work hard to ensure that none of the professors give exams on a monday so as not to tempt the students to study on sunday which i deeply well i came to appreciate at first i quite frankly for at first i thought it was silly all this fuss over not working on the sabbath day i i confess i thought it was kind of a joke but as i grew to appreciate These brothers and sisters among whom God had set me. And what I grew to appreciate was the fact that they loved God. And they loved His Word. And what they longed to do was to orient their lives around His Word. These were people whom you would find splitting wood or siding their houses while singing the Psalms. These were folks who worked hard to ensure that their children grew up knowing God's Word. I met professors who who taught me economics with the Bible open, showing how that's the most effective economics textbook there is, much less theology. And seeing their love for God and for His Word made me recognize that they didn't do this lightly. And as I began to study why they took the Lord's Day so serious, what I found was that they recognized that this is the first positive commandment that God gives us in the 10th command in the 10 commandments. You shall not you shall not you shall not, but suddenly you shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Do this, God says, because it's a blessing. Embrace this because it's my gift to you. It was only when I realized that God's Sabbath command is meant to be a blessing for God's people that I began to receive it as a blessing. And so that's how I'd like to consider with you the fourth commandment this morning as the positive command God intended it to be. And thus our theme is that God's grateful people rejoice in their Sabbath rest. God's grateful people. We don't, we shouldn't, we mustn't see it as a curse. Look at all the things we can't do. We shouldn't, we mustn't see it as a means of condemning others for all the things that they do. But we should rejoice in the Sabbath rest God has given us. And the first aspect of that Sabbath rejoicing involves rejoicing to rest from our misery. Through the preaching of Christ, rejoicing to rest from our misery through the preaching of Christ. At the start of its, its lessons for us, our catechism reminded us that man by nature is miserable. We were made to love God and to love our neighbor, but of nature we hate God and we hate our neighbor and everything in us and about us testifies to that. We're miserable in the corruption of our wicked works. We're miserable in our separation from God. We're we're even miserable because of the fact that the creation itself testifies that God exists. And we hate that fact. The misery of the natural man is great and it leaves him restless. Because in our hearts we know that it is God who ought to give us purpose, who ought to shape our lives, who ought to define us. But if you... If you hate God and you live your life in rebellion against Him, then you you need to find something to fill that void, don't you? And so people try to fill that void with their work or with their family or with their friends or with their hobbies or they try to cover it up with drugs or with alcohol or with a deep and abiding passion for a, a hobby that really doesn't mean much. Nothing works. Nothing satisfies the longing that fills them. In point of fact, they're dead. They're dead even though their bodies live because they're cut off from the living God. They are dead and pointlessly wandering, unable to find the source of true life. But the Sabbath day is a day for bringing life to those who are dead in sin. In Mark 3, we read about how Jesus entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he met there a man with a deformed hand. Now his enemies, especially among the scribes and the Pharisees, they're watching him. They want to see, is he going to sin by healing this man on the Sabbath? Because they knew his penchant for healing those who were broken. And that, they thought, would give them reason to accuse him. Look, you're not from God because you sinned, despite the fact that that he would have healed a man. But Jesus, seeing the trap they had set for him, he asks them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill. You see, time and time again, Jesus emphasized the Sabbath is not made to restrain man. The Sabbath is not meant to impose a burden on man. The Sabbath is made to bless man, to give him rest, to give him hope, to provide him life. And so asking that question, He then healed the man. He restored him to wholeness and life. That's what the Sabbath is above all else for. Those who remain in their sin, they're lost in their separation from God. They're broken by means of their corruption. They're prisoners held captive to the evil nature within them. They are dead spiritual corpses who walk among us. And if there is to be rest, then it can only be through the preaching of Christ. Paul says in Romans 10, verse 14, How then shall they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Someone must preach Christ to them. For it is by the preaching of Christ that they hear Christ. And it's by hearing Christ that they learn to trust in Him. And it's by that trust, by that faith, that they're united to Him and given new life. So if the Sabbath is to be a day of rest, it must first of all be a day of proclaiming Christ. Because it is in Him alone that we receive true rest. Only by the faithful preaching of Christ can men rest from the misery of sin's judgment. But in the faithful preaching of the Word, we hear. Christ call out to us. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we... Receive that rest only through the preaching of Christ. And that doesn't come just in the sermon, though it culminates there. It comes in the call to worship, which leads us out of the the tedium and the struggle of life into the very presence of the fullness of God. It's in the, the law that teaches us to put aside our self-reliance and in the assurance of pardon that shows us that Christ has met our every need and again in the law that shows us that we're freed from our shackles to live the life of, of following after God for which we were meant. It's found in the songs that we sing, the Psalms. Why do we sing the Psalms? It's because every single one of them speaks to us of Christ. Every single one of them are songs of the Savior. Why do we give of our offerings? They're our response of gratitude for the salvation we have received. And of course, the preaching of the Word. Which sets Christ before us as the Savior and also as the renewer of our lives. And so it's not just repent and believe in Christ and live. It's repent, believe in Christ and live a brand new life that affects everything about you. The Sabbath is above all else a rest from misery through the preaching, the proclamation of Christ. That obviously means that we have to preach Christ here in the sermons. But it also, brothers and sisters, it means that we must be preparing preachers. That's why we take up offerings for our seminaries. That's why we pray for our seminaries. That's why we hold our seminaries accountable. We need a new generation of preachers to be raised up for the preaching of the Word. It's also why we individually need to be preparing for the Sabbath. If you run, 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 run all week long, and you fall to bed late, exhausted on Saturday night, and you wake up late and take a quick shower and get to church, you're not prepared to hear the preaching of the Word. That's hard work. But if the evening before you begin to set things aside, you pray both for the the pure preaching of the Word and for your ability to hear it, you read the text, that's why it's in the bulletin, by the way, You read the text so that it's not new to you on Sunday morning. You've already begun to digest it. And you pray fervently that God would help you to hear the word and to hear what you need to hear from it. Then, brothers and sisters, then you're prepared to do that hard work of receiving the proclamation of Christ and and obtaining all the rest that God intends to give through it. And it's not just for us. Understand that we haven't done our duty with regard to the Great Commission by leaving those doors back there unlocked. The Great Commission is a calling not for me as a minister, not for the elders as a consistory. Our calling is to equip you for the works of ministry and your calling, our calling together is to go to our co-workers and to our distant relatives and to our friends and to our neighbors and to tell them, after we've built a relationship with them, after they've seen our love, to tell them, you need Christ. And I can show you where to find Him. Come with me. You can sit in the pew with me. I'll explain what's happening in the worship service. And you might have to ask Him 2, 3, 20, 30, 40 times... Just reminding him, hey, you know, there's an extra seat in my car Sunday. It might not be until three, four years later that finally he says, you know what? I'd like that. And the reason he'll do it is because of the work of God's Spirit within him and because of the life that you have lived before him, demonstrating the work that Jesus is doing in you. The rest that he's given to your soul. And then they too will be able to rejoice to rest from their misery through the preaching of Christ. That first of all. And then secondly, we rejoice to rest for worship with the people of God. Again, the Sabbath day is to be a day of rest. Exodus 20 is clear on that. God gives you six days to work. Young people, that, that also means your homework, by the way. He's given you Monday through Saturday to do that. Not Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening just before it's due. No. He's given you the whole day. The whole day to rest. What a blessing. But it's not a rest that lacks purpose. In other words, we don't just set aside our work and then do nothing. We don't use it as a day to reacquaint ourselves with the the remote control or the sports network or our pillow. Not to say that we can't have some time of enjoyment on the Lord's Day, certainly, take your Sabbath snooze, enjoy it. Spend a little time catching up on your reading. That's wonderful. But the heart of our Sabbath rest involves this. God's people gathering together to worship the Lord. The catechism does a beautiful job of, of summarizing that. We gather together to worship so that we might learn what God's Word teaches. In other words, true worship isn't something that you do fishing on the lake or, or out in the woods or in a stadium. Right? You might, you might feel worshipful in some of those situations. I certainly can have known in wonderful times of prayer and communion with God out on my canoe on Red Rock but true worship, the Sabbath worship to which we're called, which refreshes us in a unique way, is that which we experience when we're shoulder to shoulder among God's people. That's why Hebrews 10 urges God's people to gather together on the Lord's Day. That's how we receive encouragement. That's how we build one another up and encourage each other on to to living for Christ. It's how we enter into the most holy place. When we gather as God's people, understand, children, you gather together. In a unique way in the presence of God. You're gathered with the people who, well, you'll spend eternity with them. And the Bible says that when we gather together among the people of God, we are in the presence of angels. Not that these people are angels, but that the angels are present with us. That's something our eyes can't see, but that our hearts discern. And as we gather among God's people, we hear the Word of God, the the voice of God speaking to us, transforming our hearts, molding us, shaping us together into that living body of which Christ is the head. We gather to learn what God's Word teaches. What a beautiful thing that is. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes it feels like the preacher maybe went from preaching to meddling But those are the, and I can assure you that's not my intent, but but how often God hits us right where we need to be hit. He convicts us. He leads us. He shows us that we need to change, that something needs to be transformed. And that He's the one who has the power to do it within us. That's why we have that focus on God's Word, because it is uniquely His Word given for transforming us, building us, changing us. So we attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's Word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, a visible demonstration of those promises God has given to us. When, Lord willing, next week we see that sacrament of baptism given. Kids, I want you to pay attention to what that shows you, how it looks like a bath. Right? Or in the Lord's Supper, how it reminds us of how we eat food to be nourished and how that shows us that Jesus in being broken and His blood being poured out, He nourishes us unto fullness of life. And baptism, it shows us how in in His blood we are cleansed from our sin and made pure. What a beautiful assurance of our faith that we can get nowhere else. And, And of course, we pray to God publicly. We begin our worship with prayer asking for God's blessing. We right in the middle of our worship, we pause to pray for all of the needs and to give God the the praise for all of the care he's given to us as individuals and as families and as a church family and for the church at large and for the nation in which we live. We seek his blessing to apply the word as we Include our sermon. But also every song we sing is a prayer of confession or a prayer of thanksgiving or a prayer for help from God. Every single one of those songs is one of our prayers. And we bring Christian offerings for the poor. Understand, that's not just our way of trying to meet the budget and pay for our needs. No. When we tithe, we're confessing that everything that is in our hands... Is from the Lord. And that He has given us not just sufficiently, but abundantly. And He calls us, He commands us to give of our tithe from that. That's not the goal, that's the baseline. To demonstrate that we believe He has given us sufficiently according to our need. And to show that we have faith that He will give us according to our need in the future. And to show that we're truly thankful for what He's given to us. You see, all of this is part of the worship to which we're called. And when we do it, oh, brothers and sisters, we are refreshed. We are renewed. Why is it that we worship twice on the Lord's Day? There's no specific commandment, although there's a beautiful example in the uh, sacrifices of the morning and the evening every day in Israel. And there's beautiful commendation of it in places like Psalm 92 where it says it's good to worship the Lord in the morning and to confess his name at night. But we do it above all else because this day is to be a day characterized by worship. And what, what way better to do that than to begin and to end among God's people, hearing the word preached together, praying to the Lord in assembly, giving of our offerings, celebrating the life that we have together, the rest that we have together among God's people. You worship once on the Lord's Day, it's so easy then to say the rest of the day is mine and I'm going to deal with it the way I want to do. No. We know that we've begun and now we will end. We have embraced the rest of the Lord's Day and we will continue together to embrace it. What a blessing that is. Brothers and sisters, let us never take lightly this rest we've been given, this This beautiful privilege of gathering among God's people. Again, these are the people with whom we will spend eternity. The people who are being molded and shaped together by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God to be renewed into the image of Christ. If you don't think that's an amazing thing. Wow. And understand that when God commands this worship, it's as a means... Of giving us true rest. When we gather among God's people, you know, everything we do in life, young people, pay attention to this, everything we do in life seeks to identify us. See, so you go to work every morning. Or you go to school every morning. And that seeks to identify you. Right? You go to Pella Christian High School, I'm an eagle. Right? You go to Dort, what is Dort? Defenders? You go to Dort, I'm a defender, right? You go to Geneva, you get to be a golden tornado, that's a little weird, but whatever. You know, you go to work, and you know, well, what do you do? We. How often we hear that question, what do you do? Well, I'm an electrician, I'm a welder, I'm a carpenter, I'm am ai a... I'm a I'm, You identify yourself by your work. When we gather among God's people, we're reminded who we really are. Who you really are isn't a farmer or an accountant or a nurse or a teacher. Who you really are is a child of the the living God. Who you really are is a brother or a sister of Christ. Who you really are is one who was made to bear the image of God and to worship Him. Who you really are is one who has been equipped to go out and tell the world where they can find rest and life and help and strength. Who you really are is a Christian. That is more of a reality to your life. Then any school you might attend, any work you might do, any family to which you might belong, any nation of which you might be a citizen. You are one of God's people, a member of the kingdom of God, and that's the reality, the, the identity that will follow you forever. When we gather among God's people, we remember who we are, what God has done for us, and what God is doing in us. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, says Psalm 84. And then and then, what's he point out? Ah, if I can find it. He points out that they go through the valley of Baca. Baca is the Hebrew word for weeping. God allows us to go through times of grief, doesn't He? Times of confusion, times of struggle, times of hurt. But even that sorrow and that pain reminds us where our hope is found, where our rest is to be obtained. And worship does that more than anything else we do in life. It shows us that that we go from strength to strength, each one appearing before God in Zion. Nor are we encouraged, brothers and sisters, only by God when we gather together in worship. We're encouraged by His people. He says in Hebrews 10, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling together, uh, uh, assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching, we are to gather together for worship and then to stay together. That's why we have coffee. It encourages you not to walk out that door but to stay, to visit, to study the Bible together, to build one another up, to get beyond talking about the weather, which is a great place to start, but to move on from there to how are things going with your that thing you've been struggling with? How are how are things going with your family? How are you doing? God grants us this rest, but he does it through the Sabbath, brothers and sisters, in Isaiah 58, he says, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day, that's always our temptation, right? It's just another day off. A day to get things done. A day to... I mean, we we look at our neighbors. They sleep in. They get things crossed off their to-do list. They go to sporting events. They engage in their hobbies. And we start getting a little jealous. Maybe that's what I want to do. That's, that looks so good, we maybe think. But he says... If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and you call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and honor Him, not going your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. If you celebrate the Sabbath as a gift, if you use that to focus on one another and on the Lord rather than on yourself, then it is in the Lord, in our God, that you will learn to rejoice. That's hard for us. We're inherently sinful. We're inherently selfish. But if we learn to set aside that selfishness and focus on the Lord, then He will give us rest that makes us delight in Him. And that leads us to our last point. Because we need to see that this Sabbath day, it's meant, it's meant to be the starting point for us. It's meant to cultivate in us not just the habit of one day, but the habits of a life, an attitude, a lifestyle. Hebrews 4 Talks some about that. Showing us that the Sabbath rest is a continual thing that, that always awaits God's people. You see, part of why God gave us a weekly Sabbath was to show us the eternal Sabbath for which we're being prepared. The eternal Sabbath is the Sabbath of resurrection. It's the Sabbath of the new heavens and the new earth. It's the Sabbath that awaits us after Jesus comes back and cleanses us from all remaining remnants of sin and renews the earth. That's the eternal Sabbath. And this day is meant as a preview. Understand, when that day comes, when Jesus returns, we're going to have the judgment. And all those who continue in their hatred of God, they will be... Cast into their punishment. And the world will be renewed and made perfect. Every stain of sin removed from it. And so will we. Our bodies will be perfect. Our hearts will be perfect. Our minds will be perfect. We'll be equipped to serve God the way that we were designed to serve Him. And life will be perfect. No sin, no sorrow, no disease or death. No struggles with temptation because there will be no temptation. We will serve God joyfully and and perfectly with every one of the gifts God has entrusted to us. Won't that be amazing? And this day is meant to be a preview. Preview. That's what Hebrews 4 is all about. The chapter warns us, Israel heard the same gospel you heard. They looked forward to Christ, we look back. But it's the same, same Savior, same gospel, same salvation. But many of those folks didn't enter their rest. The message, or the word that they heard, did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. They didn't trust The one who was proclaimed to them. They didn't believe the promises that were spoken. And they showed their disobedience by refusing to rest in the Lord. And so he urges us. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And that's reflected in the fourth commandment. We're called to celebrate the Sabbath day continually by rejoicing to rest in holiness by the power of the Spirit. What's that look like, that Sabbath living? Our catechism says that it means every day of my life I I should rest from my evil ways. In other words, God wants us to repent of our sin. That's the ongoing effect of the Lord's Day. There's something about hearing God's Word preached. Spending time among the people of God in whose lives you see the work of the Holy Spirit that spurs us onward to evaluating our lives and seeing where we're falling short so that we will begin that that hard task and it is hard isn't it of renouncing that sin that has been clinging to us for so long and of Of asking fervently for God to work in us, to transform us, to give us something. Because we don't just turn away from sin, we turn unto Christ. We don't just put off the old, we put on the new. And that requires the work of the Holy Spirit. Having repented, God's people are to let the Lord work in me through His Spirit. And so begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. That sounds very passive, but it's not. Because it involves studying God's Word to learn how He wants us to act. It involves hearing God's Word preached and actively paying attention to how it applies to me. It requires us praying daily and throughout the day that God would give us the strength to escape the temptations before us and the, the, the courage to do the things that He calls us to do. It's God leading us to do that. But he requires us to be active in that. We call that... Conversion, Right? Daily. Choosing to put off the old man and to put on the new. But we do it through the strength that God gives us. Again from Psalm 84. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. Blessed are we if our strength is not in ourselves and not in one another but in the Lord. It's not easy sometimes to rejoice in this aspect of the Sabbath. I mean it's one thing to sit in the pew, right? To sing those songs, especially the ones that, are, that we just love, right? We all have our favorites. It's not hard to go out and drink the coffee, even to get ourselves moving and get dressed and come back and, and do it all over again in the evening. But But not doing those things that we love to do even though we shouldn't. Not getting involved in the gossip at work. Not telling those white lies that make us look a little bit better. Controlling our tongue. Controlling our hearts that lust after that which hasn't been given us. That's hard. You know what makes it easy? Err. What makes it easier is looking at the Sabbath rest that is promised. The sinless perfection of the world to come. The perfect joy of, of absolutely reflecting Christ our King. The ecstasy of serving God face to face. Of knowing Him even as we are known. Setting our eyes on that. It's like, it's like somebody who's beginning to run, but they have the goal of, of running, of completing a 10K in two months. And they're looking forward to, to getting that shirt, to knowing that they did it, to, to having that accomplishment under their belt. And so they don't look at how hard it is to get out of bed in the morning and put on the running clothes. They don't look at how hard it is to get down that first half mile of the road. They look at the goal, the prize, the, the purpose. Well, so it is with our Sabbath rest. If we, if we just look at how hard it is to put off that sin we've come to love, if we just look at how difficult it will be to repent, well, we'll never do it. But if we look at that life to come and its perfection, which we, this is an appetizer. We get a taste of it right here. Think of how wonderful are these people among whom you worship. Think about how much you love them. Look at, you've been here for many years. Look at how God has changed some of these people. How the the guy who used to have such a hard time controlling his tongue at work, he's He actually sounds pretty good right now, doesn't he? The woman who used to worry all the time, she she doesn't worry anymore. The person who was so consumed with money or land or possessions, suddenly he's more consumed with the destiny of his children and whether they'll be in heaven and his grandchildren and whether they truly know the Lord. When we see that, we get a taste of what is to come. And when we get that taste, brothers and sisters, we want the whole feast. We want, to, we want to gain what God alone can give. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is our Son and our shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold. From you. But only if you're living for Him. Only if you're finding your rest in Him. So brothers and sisters, that is what the Sabbath is for. An opportunity for us to rejoice, to rest in the Lord. It begins with our resting from our misery through the preaching of Christ. But then it continually sets before us that opportunity to rejoice in worshiping with God. We were meant for that. We're identified by that. And as we worship among God's people, as we come to love one another and to cherish the joy, the joyous activity that we engage in together. We get a taste of that rest that is to come. And we begin to rejoice, to rest in holiness by the power of the Spirit even now. Beginning that transformation that will culminate with Jesus coming. May God cause us to rejoice more and more in the fullness of this Sabbath rest. And may that rest refresh us with strength until we appear before God in Zion. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, You are so good to us. Beyond Beyond anything we could desire or deserve, Lord. And we pray that You would help us to rejoice in the rest that You have ordained for us. Make it to be our delight to hear the Gospel and to respond with faith. To gather among Your people for for prayer, for singing, for tithing together, for encouraging each other, for spending time in fellowship with those whom You love. And Lord, enable us to extend that Sabbath rest into all of our lives as we begin to rest from the work The the works of the flesh and to rejoice in the works of the spirit in holiness father we ask this all in jesus name amen brothers and sisters let us sing the concluding portion the, the second half of psalm 84 which we find in selection 161